Coming up on Art Palace. One of my great accomplishments in art, you'll be happy to hear this, it was painting irises on a garbage can that Ooh. sat on a street corner for many years, <laughs> and I would drive people by and go, that's my garbage can. Those are my irises. <laughs> Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Andrea Shepman, Executive Director at the Crone Conservatory. So this is cool. So this is the first year you've done this Art of Nature? Yes. Uh, every year we have five basic seasonal floral shows. And so every year we we try to make sure that we change it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. There are some levels of tradition at certain times of the year. Yeah. Like we always try to include the chrysanthemums in the fall show, poinsettias, of course, in the holiday show. But this is brand new to us. And this particular show is designed by a young lady named Allison Wallace. And she had a unique challenge in that for the first time we were installing trains in this show and she had a completely different idea until we told her there will be trains throughout your show. And <laughs> so she really, she really ran with this okay. in a way and, and created this show about how, how nature inspires us in many different ways and how we see art in nature. Cool. So the the tr so she had to work around the trains that I'm assuming are going to be there for the holiday. Yes. So you have yes. to already go ahead and put them in. Yes. Early. We had a challenge with applied imagination is now like one of these crazy, wonderfully successful companies that installs displays for holidays all around the world. Oh, okay. So trying to fit us in in our specific holiday week of installation this year became a little challenging. And they said, well, it's either this week or it's way early. And yeah. so we chose the way early <laughs> and they are installed already, but they've done some really exciting things with the trains. So are they, they are, the trains are going to be a part of the Art of Nature show? They or? run all through it. Okay. Yes. Okay. I didn't know if they were just like masked or like hidden by like they had to work around it or if they're just like incorporating it. We considered that, but then I think we came up with the best option is that people love trains. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so applied imagination actually made these little train cars, they decorated them and they were inspired by all the different artists that were featuring in there. So we literally have a train, two train cars that are Salvador Dali. Okay. And one that is like Starry Night for Vincent Van Gogh. And mm. so you'll just, as you come in and you look closely at these train cars, you won't believe it. But they're, they're decorated with twigs and berries and leaves. And yet you can distinctly see how that specific artist inspired them. So what are some things people are going to see when they go to uh, this exhibition? Is that what, I don't even, I'm speaking museum language now. Is that, what do you call it? Well, Crone is a living museum. Yeah. So of course we try to use some of that same language. Yeah. This, the, the landscape design, this, this exhibit okay. is uh, our fall floral show. 
So, of course, you're going to see some of the traditional horticultural things that you would see in there, like chrysanthemums and various types of, of plants that have fall color and some grasses and some things that we typically see in our own landscape. Mm-hmm. We know a lot of our visitors are looking for ideas for their own backyard and garden. But then we also find that so many of our clients or clientele and visitors, they want to come and they want to see something different and something mm-hmm. fun. So taking this theme and incorporating this theme into the show, as you go around the room, just walking through, you're going to see little vignettes around the room. And each one of those vignettes is planted in a landscape way that you can clearly see a connection to either a specific work of art or a concept of a certain mm-hmm. artist. Are there any examples you can you can share at this well, point? Well, the really exciting one is like the first one inside the door on the left. And it is uh, Salvador Dali. And if you think about how his his very surrealistic approach to things, we have some flowers floating literally okay. around this and a pathway that is made out of recycled blue glass that leads up to the center feature. So for me, that's one of my favorite little vignettes. Cool. But then there are spaces around the room. There's also uh, not only just artists that are featured, but this concept of the Fibonacci pattern, the orderliness of what appears very random in, mm-hmm. in nature. They're, they're actually, as you look closer, if you look really close as an artist does, you see a lot of orderliness. And the Fibonacci pattern is a mathematical rhythm that if you're aware of it, you can actually discover that in a lot of different plants, the petal arrangements of some flowers, like a pineapple where you look at the spiral mm-hmm. around it, or an agave, uh, how the, the leaves form this spiral pattern. So we hope that not only do you enjoy the show, but also maybe there becomes a sort of stealth way of learning as you go through some <laughs> concepts. Yes, we do. <laughs> we try to make learning fun. And so it's really, it's becoming one of my favorite shows. So do you, pl- do you think, I mean, I guess maybe you can't say yet, but do you plan on doing it annually? Do you think it's going to be like a tradition or you're just going to see how it goes? Well, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, the, the idea of having the trains in there, what I'm really afraid of is that people may come back and say, we want trains all, all the year. time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Just I'm, get rid of the plants and just make it a train. <laughs> just the right, Nick Crone train, train show. Conservatory. Yes, yes. Just... It's kind of like that with butterflies. We feel like, yeah. you know, but people are still coming to find out if the butterflies are still there. And we definitely try to do that just like in spring through early summer. Yeah. And uh, so you never know. Well, yeah, this is really cool because it's going to cross over our own sort of flower event. So it's kind of cool that we have this like uh, uh, synergy to use like a sort of businessy buzzword um, (laughs) going on between, you know, what we have, especially since we're neighbors here in the park, but, um, you know, art and bloom, which is like our big popular, uh, fundraising event is kind of like the exact opposite. So where you're making sort of, uh, like art out of flowers, we sort of represent our art through flowers and floral arrangements. So it's like 
kind of like we're each uh, taking each other's uh, normal jobs <laughs> and turning them on their head. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we're like each kind of doing like each other's thing for a second. So yeah, so it's kind of a cool thing. And and you know we I know we get a lot of people for Art and Bloom. It's super popular that weekend. So hopefully some of those folks will come see Art and Bloom, and and while they're up here in the park, can can go over to the conservatory and and visit the art of nature. So that's a really cool cool idea to have those two going on at the same time. Well, as you said, we're neighbors. And I think anytime we can collaborate to try to do something that draw people here to more than one location, it works well. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think people do that already. I know, you know, my family, um, I would have like a be off on Christmas, uh, vacation, be hanging out with my family. And then they would go, Oh, let's go to the conservatory and the museum. On uh, oh gosh, you, gee boy, what I, just what I want to do on my day off? Go back, go to work. I know the same feeling. <laughs> and I walk in the door, and of course, immediately people start asking me questions. You go, yes, Russell, Russell, we uh, do you know where this? Is? Oh gosh, uh, just, I need a trench coat and sunglasses for those days. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure it's worse for you. <laughs> Nobody like you don't walk in. Do they hand you like a watering can? And <laughs> no, but. I know there's always challenges. There are always things and people have questions that maybe I've been with the parks. I've been at Crone for 34 years. So when somebody has a question, like a plant question, even though that's not what I do day to day anymore, now that I manage things, they still come and find me and they're like, well, you know, nobody else seems to know about that. Oh yeah. Or, or people stop by who used to work for parks or they know me because they used to volunteer. Yeah. Nobody else knows them. Except for me, this mm-hmm. happens. <laughs> yeah, if you hang around in a place long enough, you That's just it. you kind of tend to be like, oh, you've absorbed this information. You become like the institutional knowledge, and you've got that you know, you've got that memory still. So everybody is going to come to you. At so, least I hope so. <laughs> so what, how did you start? Like, what did you start? What was your first job with the parks? Well, actually, before I got to the parks, I have a degree in horticulture, and I taught school. I taught 11th and 12th grade horticulture classes, and so from from that, I came to work for the parks, and my first job was actually working at what is our production greenhouses out in Finneytown, and it's called Warder Nursery. Warder Nursery is that behind-the-scenes space. We have 10 greenhouses that I still manage that greenhouse. I have folks out there that take care of the Mm day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we have a background place where we can grow flowers that then come to the parks. And so that's where I started from there, just because my, my goal was always to try and incorporate some form of sharing information mm-hmm. about how wonderful this place is and how wonderful these plants are. I've always been real interested in like the, the, how the plants are used, what other things about these plants that people don't know about, like the natural dyes that we feature in this or, or other uses that people have used through history. And so trying to incorporate a little bit of education into the programming here has been a big goal of mine. And I guess I've just been here long enough that now I'm the boss. Yeah. <laughs> just, you just wait around long enough. Those yes. kind of things happen. <laughs> Like, so, so how many, how many people overall work at the, at the conservatory at the Crone? Well, not as many full-time people as you would think. There are about six of us there. Six? Yes. yes in comparison to your staff, it's really, oh my gosh. everyone else is seasonal. 
And this is is a challenge for us Yikes. that we need to have a little more stability in staffing. At, with seasonals, it changes sometimes even two and three times a year, one position. Uh-huh. Some of our positions are being held by two people that kind of share a job, and it is ever-changing. So as as managers, our core knowledge and how we can share that becomes so important. Yeah. Do you have a lot of volunteers, too? We do. We do. Uh, during Butterfly Show alone, we may have up to 600 volunteers. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay. I wow. know half of Cincinnati just through volunteerism. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, we I mean, we have a we have a lot of volunteers, but not we don't have 600, I don't think at any one point certainly. That's crazy. Um yeah, that's just to com- I mean, to compare, you know, we have probably when it comes to like full-time employees, probably about 100, uh, you know, roughly, and mm-hmm. then you add in security and you add on another 100 people, so it's about 200 people. Roughly, give or take. Yeah. I'm, I'm not HR, so I don't have those numbers <laughs> right off the top of my head, but that's, you yeah. know, about what it's at. Yeah. The conservatory is part of the Cincinnati Parks. So, of course, you know, there are there are times when we have to lean on our other park employees yeah. to bring people in, such as during show change when we're hauling all of this material out and putting a completely new show in in a very short period of time. A lot of the field staff that take care of other park areas will come in and help. And that is absolutely necessary. That's part of our team when it comes to that job. But on a day-to-day basis, it's rather slim. Yeah, I would have <laughs> never... Get, I, would, I mean, I kind of... I actually sort of did assume, like, I'm sure it's, a, you know, a, a smaller um, operation than we are, but I just thought... I would never have thought six. That's insane. So what... I mean, now I'm just, like, fascinated by the, the way this works. So, like, what are those different jobs? Like, what are the... What are the very fundamental things you need since there's only six of them. Well, there there are three florists, or that's their title, and it basically, you could call them horticulturists because their job is they come in at 6 o'clock in the morning in between 6 and 10 a.m. when we open. They're going to be watering, cleaning, replanting if if needed, just checking in on plants, and that is all they do along with show design. Their jobs are pretty tight, though, with that, because, of course, we're covering seven days a week, 365 days a year. You can't really let things go for even a day. There is no automatic watering in the greenhouse, so it makes their, their job a very full day. And so along with that, then we have the management team and we have somebody who does kind of cleaning facility work and, uh, and, and stays there for security. Yeah, I actually, I, when I made the joke about the watering can in my head, I thought like, oh, like I'm sure they have like some high tech system or something and no, no, not at all. It, <laughs> the, I mean, it's an old building too, isn't it? 1933 yeah. is when it opened and most of the majority of the display space is 1933 space. Mm-hmm. Uh, there've only been a few things that have been modified or changed since then. And yes, it is. It's all hand watered. We do have we have a high pressure fog system, okay. which was put in probably in the most recent high tech thing that we got. Yeah. It's really great because we have a lot of things like orchids and bromeliads that will thrive more on air humidity, mm-hmm. and that humidity is really necessary. And it somewhat cuts down on a heat level as well. Okay. 
Oh, that's nice. But 1933, that means that our building also has a lot of Art Deco Mm -hmm. stylized little, you know, if you look in the floor patterns where the terrazzo floor is, there are little decorations in that, the metal railing. The original facade of the building is now kind of behind the bathroom, so that was added on so that we have public restrooms. But that inner wall is all etched glass, which is all done in a beautiful Art Deco motif. And so that's what I love. I love that it's a historical building and love these little things that are there. How much has the how much has the space changed since? I mean, you, you know, I know the structure is roughly the same, but sort of that design of that middle area, um, has it been through any major renovations or? Well, if you look at really old photos of that core, the Palm House area that goes Mm -hmm. down to the waterfall, you see that when it was first planted, it was planted in a very symmetrical and uh, very formal way. So everything, you know, if you have a palm on this side, you have another one on that side, all the way down to the waterfall was kind of that central feature. And you can see the plants are much smaller. Yeah. Over the years, we've intentionally tried to get away from that formal approach because it's not very natural. It's not like it would be in a rainforest. And so now you're going to see a more, you know... <laughs> more naturalist type of approach, and she just knocked I, w- over I will not move my hands anymore. <laughs> That's yeah. embarrassing. Not the most yeah. st- sturdy uh, stand to begin with, but <laughs> so so we've tried really hard to plant things in a more naturalistic way, particularly in those areas where where the collections are planted. In those areas, then once the plants are in there, we try not to really change it because we've created maps that go along with it. And, right. and so, you know, unless a plant is giving us problems, most of the time it will stay in those areas. We have added in some things like the bonsai collection, and mm-hmm. that came about as part of a collaborative effort. And in the last 15 years, we've, we've created this wonderful collection of bonsai, which is a nice addition. But it is being stored in an area that... When I first started, we actually had a little production space that was off limits to the visitor. So you had, uh, if you had some plants that you had to take care of that didn't look so great, or if you had something you wanted to propagate, you could do it there on site. Well, we started doing butterfly shows about 22 years ago. All of a sudden, the amount of people and the one-way flow required us to make all of that display space. And so with that display space, then we had to have something to fill it. The bonsai collection was a perfect collaborative. And so that's also a great addition. And then in the 60s is when the the, the desert collection, that house on the back uh-huh. of there, that was actually an addition that was not part of the original plan there. Okay. Um, when you're talking about the butterflies, it made me kind of think of, you know, we have sort of loans and art that comes in and things we have to work with, but I don't think we have anything quite so like living. I don't know. Like that's (laughs) such this weird thing we don't have to deal with is, you know, a living creature. (laughs) Really? I have, I have huge respect for people at the zoo now that I have had to do this because this is a very different thing. The, uh, the plants are living, but they usually they're in the same place that we put them in, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're not likely to get up and walk away. So escape is not really uh, something we have to worry about. 
With butterflies, it brings on a completely new level of watching, guarding, rearing the responsibility of having a living creature like that for day-to-day care. And it's amazing how much work it is that go into raising butterflies for this. Oh, I'm sure. That's crazy. The cost, the time factor of it, it's, but it's probably one of the greatest things we do. Oh, I'm sure it's, it's, I'm sure it's the most popular, certainly, right? Of course. Yeah. (laughs) 90,000 people. What? Yes. Oh my gosh. Just for that short period of time. So it's, it's huge for us. Yeah. That's huge for anyone. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, ni- I don't think anyone's going to sneeze at 90,000. And when I think about the women's restroom that only has three stalls and you think of 90,000 people coming through, I'm wondering how many times the, they flush. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I thought we could go look at some flowers in the collection. Oh, if I you're- love that. Awesome. Well, let's go. Okay. All right. So we are in Gallery 213, which is kind of a weird space um, because it's uh, it's called 213, but it's actually almost like multiple. It's two hallways um, with the same number um, that are on either side of the special exhibit space. So if you want to come find this, if you kind of know where uh, the folk art show just was um, or where a lot of the other special exhibits are in that big main space, it's on kind of right before you get to that, it's on either side of it. And it's a hallway where we often have uh, prints and works on paper on display. And I wanted to come look at these today because, um, you know, we don't actually get a chance to talk about prints a lot. Uh, they, they are like flowers. They are fleeting. <laughs> and uh, they, are, they can only be on view for um, just, you know, a few months at a time because they're sensitive to light. Um, you know, most actually a big chunk of the museum's collection is prints and photographs and things that are light sensitive. So um, these things only appear for for a short uh period of time and then they have to go back into the into storage so right now we have uh this little show called in bloom floral prints from the permanent collection um so i thought this would be perfect because we have tons of flower images to look look at and we're just going to kind of check out a bunch of them uh we might not talk about everything but i just wanted to see what stuck out to andrea as we walk around well, the, this is a beautiful hallway, and of course it is an area just where, it, after my own heart, all yeah. the flowers in here. <laughs> so the one we're looking at right now with the Queen Anne's, it's called Queen Anne's Lace, and just one of my favorite flowers, one of the nature flowers, the natural things that you'll find out in the woods, and it's also an edible flower. Did you know that? No, I didn't. So I my older sister, when we were growing up, she went away to a camp and she came back so excited to tell me how they'd cut Queen Anne's lace. They dipped it in some type of flour batter and then they deep fried it and ate it. What? I'm like, okay, those flowers are way too pretty for you to eat. But still, it's it's quite exciting to find out something else about a flower. I, I think I was, when you said it was edible, I imagined it like sort of being on top of a beautiful cake and not sort of like fair food. Like <laughs> deep fried. Yeah, yeah, deep fried fair food. It's, but it's healthier that way, right? Uh, yeah, At least right. it's not a Twinkie in there. Uh, yeah, I so. guess that's true. If you're going to get like, you, if you go up to the, the fair booth and your choices are like Twinkie, Oreo, Baby Ruth, or Queen Anne's Queen Lay. Anne's Lay. 
please, you know. Go for the Queen Anne's You're lace. clearly there making a wiser decision <laughs> for your health. Well, <laughs> well, this print is really interesting. And the artist's name I'm going to massacre here because um, it looks like I'm going to guess Yosef Domian. Oh, boy. That was a... Uh, hmm. I don't know mm. if that was... It's... Uh, Hungarian origin uh, artist who's working in the United States. And so it's it's really interesting color, um, really kind of dark blues and greens in the background. And then the, the parts of the, the blossoms are um, much lighter, but they still have this like uh, faded kind of yellows and primary colors behind them. And such an intricate little pattern here with that woodcut, you know, just just cutting all through there because you know Queen Anne's lace has a very feathery kind of foliage and then a very intricate feathery almost lake lace like flower. Yeah. And so they've captured it really well. Yeah, it works. It's it's it is sort of such a like a graphic flower that it works really well for a woodcut where you have to think in kind of black and white almost um because you're working in just like the plate when you're making it there is no the block, I should say, there is no um, shades of gray. It's just black or it's white. That's right. Um, and so they, they've got all sorts of really interesting. I, w I don't know much about this artist or how they work, but it's like, it, it looks like they've, when they ink the blocks, they, you know, it, it's not a totally consistent inking probably. Mm -hmm. And they probably, you know, um, maybe are mixing colors on top of the block is, is how I'm guessing some of this is made. It just looks like there's a lot of, of blending going on that you yeah, wouldn't expect yeah. in a woodcut. But it's really neat because as you look beyond the flowers, you're, it's almost like you're looking into the darkness of a wood, little woodsy area. Yeah. And then the flowers sort of stand out on the top of that. Yeah, it does. It has a lot of different, all the different layers create this kind of depth of like mm -hmm. a dark, a dark woods kind of feeling. Um, but then there are sort of these like little magical colors that, you know, pop out. Yeah. That maybe are not exactly yeah. totally natural, but they, they have this real cool feeling to them. Hmm. All right. Well, we can keep moving on down here. Okay. Well, this one is just called the flower. Yeah. It's and... by Fernand Leger. Um, it's a French artist. It's pretty typical of, I mean, this is one I didn't, I, when I walked by, I kind of knew it was a Leger like right away, just because of this like real thick outlines. Um, we have another painting by him, a uh, couple galleries over that's trees. And it's also against this kind of like orange uh, ah. color too. So it's kind of cool that they, they have this, it almost looks like a bunch of bananas. <laughs> Well, it kind of does, <laughs> uh, but and it, it's not a really specifically identifiable flower for me, but still it has all the things that are there, you know, between the, the petals that come out and then the core part. Yeah. Yeah, it might be, it might be imagined, you know, the, the, the fact that it is just simply called the flower mm -hmm. suggests that this is maybe not, uh, is not based on any one specific flower, but. Leave that to our imagination. Right. So. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, it's a, again, also, let's see, this is from 1952. So we're kind of in, it's a pretty good example of, of a very modernist treatment of a flower. Um, and, you know, Leger, I almost think of, it's sort of like you're looking at the building blocks of everything. You see those like the thick lines and everything's broken down to its like really basic elements here. Um, and also, you know, there's a lot of... Um, 
what we would say is non-local color too, you know, like something, it's like, okay, you mm -hmm. know, probably this flower, if you saw it would not be that green color, but, uh, the artist is sort of like, well, maybe it's more interesting if it's that green color, right. we're just able to kind yeah. of look at it as, as this sort of different, just flat shapes and, and the way things are kind of put together. His people, he, when he draws people, they kind of look almost like mannequins or something. Their, their arms and stuff don't look like they would really move around or if they did, they would almost be like one of those Halloween cutouts on your door that, you okay. know, it's almost like they look very hinged together in some way. Again, everything feels very like constructed and to leger for me. I don't did know. you say that is a particular style? Is there a name of that style of, of art? Uh, I mean, I, I just sort of, I mean, I just said it was part of, you know, modernism in general. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if, if leger really belongs to like a, a sort of specific school or movement, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, we, we, a lot of times we talk about modernist as being like, you know, constructivist in that, um, you know, it, it's actually kind of counterintuitive and that it's like kind of breaking things down, but to see like how they are constructed. Um, so, you know, you, you set out to paint a flower, um, but your goal isn't necessarily to end up with something that looks like a, straight representation of a flower, but more about the, the things that are kind of making up that picture. So, yeah. That's a nice one. I kind of like this, the idea of this and, and looking at the name of this one here, that's, they call it water lilies. It, again, it's not a yeah, specific representation. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is from 1960. So a few, a few years later than the last one we looked at, but, and I like that this is, this is the artist is Krishna in Reddy from India. So already you can kind of tell from just the first few pieces, uh, this is a very like international, uh, look at flowers, which I really love that we're kind of getting all these different cultures, um, interpretations of flowers, uh, over, over a period of time. But yeah, it's it's much it's even much more abstract than so, and it's not just a plain woodcut. It is it's there's a combination of oh boy, yeah, things there. Like she did some etching, and then the engraving, and then gouge, gouge. I I'll, I'll admit, guess I don't that she know. Went through yeah, I don't there. actually know what gouge <laughs> is. So this is this is a little too uh, inside printmaking even for me. But uh, so. Yeah, but I'm I'm really fascinated by the idea of like what how did how does this relate to water lilies to you? Well, of course the colors. Yeah, you have this like then, kind of blue. You know, but I, I think what I'm I'm imagining that I'm looking instead of looking across a pond as though we would with Monet, um, this is more like my mind that I'm like standing over the top of it looking down on it. So a lot of what you're seeing is little sparkle reflection off the water yeah, yeah. and then maybe, you know, kind of a, an impression of where the flowers might be in that pond water. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got the same idea too. I, I think like I, I had the same feeling about the way it definitely has a sense of reflection and things that surface that blue area, the mm -hmm. way it, it changes really rapidly from dark to light. And there's all these little rippling shapes, you know, it's, it, you definitely think of that as a very watery surface. And then we have these sort of three bursting kind of shapes on top of it that are mm -hmm. white and they have these little bits of red and yellow in them. And, and the way there's like kind of beams almost like are above and below again, that kind of, it does make me actually think of uh, Monet's water lilies just in the fact that they're all kind of about 
reflection and you're looking at things kind of reflected mm-hmm. upside down. And, and so, you know, we, in this one, it's a little hard to tell like almost what is up, what is down. It doesn't really give you anything to ground yourself with as much, mm-hmm. but, um, those Monet water lilies do always make me, I think they're, they're very abstract. Actually, when you look at them there, because you're looking at so much of the reflection you're looking at, you know, the world upside down. And so it just turns into shapes and colors. And they're always kind of about being a little disoriented. So to me, this piece just makes you go one step further with that disorientation. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a very, um, I don't know, it makes you think of more the sort of, like you were saying, the feeling of those things, the water, the flower, and not, Mm -hmm. not so literal. This is like, almost an exact opposite feeling here. Right. Yeah. This, this is a Giacometti. Um, and it's just called bouquet too. It's like very simple line. Um, Giacometti is kind of known for these like really sketchy drawings he did, um, often of faces and bodies, but, um, actually probably even more famous for these sculptures of these kind of really, skinny spindly people <laughs> ah, so that's what we're seeing kind of in the background there is you know in the yeah it looks behind like, it there's a little there's a person a body that yeah portrait it looks like it's like a drawing or a you know a painting on the wall that is just kind of he's just getting the hint of a portrait there but yeah it kind of makes sense he's his his things sometimes have this sort of skeletal um, feeling where they, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of getting the bones in there. This one's actually not overly like a lot of his, you know, he just keeps going over the same areas with these lines until they kind of become a spider web of, of stuff. And you get a little bit of that in certain parts of it, but actually it's, it's pretty restrained. It's pretty straightforward. Well, uh, it's, it's amazing that even with the limited number of lines, you can still tell that that's a vase and flower. Oh yeah, and the flowers are kind of all drooping, sort of hanging. Um, so it has very few lines to in order to create that. So every line has a an important place in that drawing. Yeah, it's actually it's a really nice thing to look at and kind of it's a good lesson for you know economy of drawing almost where you have to you know the, it's one of the things I think people struggle with when they sit down to draw a scene is they want to draw every little thing you know and that's me yeah I, my first drawings were like I was trying to be and I was so worried that the lines weren't completely straight right yeah this this would be like the exact opposite of that where you know he's just capturing the the quick essence of those things um and and not worrying about the details you know the 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 rule of thumb when you you take drawing is usually you work general to specific you know so you start with the big picture you make sure the big picture is what you want and then you you work on the details as you go so it it's really a lot of times it's a matter of of when you say stop right <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and, and so you know he does a lot you know both if you think the flowers are very undefined it's like look at the background and what is suggesting this space but you can still tell that that's a wall and maybe like the end of a room there that you're looking at in that little alcove there and a table setting that it's on top of possibly. Yeah. I mean, we were it's, talking about the painting in the, on the wall that you saw right away. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, you get those sort of little hints of architecture of like a doorway and a corner maybe. And it's not that specific. You don't exactly, you couldn't like 
say, oh, I know exactly how this room is laid out, but you, you get you get the sense of space and you get a sense of like how far away this table is from that wall and, you know, with very little. Yeah, I think there are six lines there that define that wall. And yeah. we can tell, and they're not even full lines. So uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, so when you just kind of stop and think about like, oh, there's really a, like not a lot of, <laughs> you know, you're getting a lot of, uh, message with not a lot of work, actually, which is kind of impressive. It's amazing. Yeah. And then what's here? This is... Oh, I could tell right away as we walked up, I was getting butterfly. The butterfly image. See the wings of the butterfly? Oh, yeah. And four wings and then flowers. Three carnations. That's funny. I did I not... Love that. I would have had to have read that. You're, you're, you, much, you must be much more well, butterfly sensitive. <laughs> I, I guess I would, my first thought was, okay, or did it get placed in the wrong gallery? Because it's a butterfly. Oh, my but gosh. Then I realized it's the flowers that are on top of it. But, yeah. But, again, that would... In, uh, we have this sort of break from reality and that obviously the scales are all off here if mm -hmm. if, if the mm -hmm. butterfly if this is a real butterfly it would be on top of of the flowers not the other way around that's right that's right well so we've been through so many years 22 years of trying to design graphic motifs to represent our butterfly show yeah. every year it's something different that i think i've seen almost all the combinations of how every you can way. take those four wings and <laughs> yeah. two antenna and put them together. Every but way you can do it. This is, this is quite stunning. And the red border on it really kind of makes it, makes it pop out. Yeah. I, sh I didn't say the title. This is butterfly with three carnations by Ivan Mosca, uh, Italian. Um, and, uh, yeah, you just have this, and, to, and at first glance, it almost looks like a sheet or like, uh, you know, that's what I, I think I saw it as with more was like, a some sort of cloth or something yeah, kind of I folded. I was kind of thinking of Madam Butterfly, you know, like uh, picturing a person inside of there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, even so, actually the shape of it is, is kind of related to like a kimono or something. Right, so right. that might be where you're kind of going with that. Cause a very square shape of a. Of the kimono, really cool piece. I love the the composition too of these two carnations on one side, and then this one just like diagonally across is really interesting. Let's we're gonna cross over to the other side. All right. So and we we I, I said we're not gonna have to look at everything, but we have been. So we don't <laughs> we don't. I'm not gonna make well, you do this anymore. Like I'm just you know, like what 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 pops out to you over here in this little section? Actually, this one, the poppies. Huh? Popped right out. Popped Before, right out. When we came by, I recognized the, you know, the seed heads and, and the poppy flowers. And because it's a little, it's, it's, uh, it's minimalist in what it is, but I just love how the, it looks like a bit of a watercolor kind of color over the flowers. So the only part that is painted or colorized are the flowers and in the, the rest of it being black and white. I really like that. Yeah, I don't know if it's watercolor, but it is. it says it's hand-colored etching, yeah. so it very well might be, or, or some kind of thin paint, sort of you know. It has it, that technique, yeah. that look like it, Yeah, it's, it definitely looks like that. Yeah. I mean, whatever they, whatever they used, it is uh, definitely, um, it's a very thin, washy paint because you can still mm -hmm. see that black line underneath it. Um, and, yeah, I love the way that it works against the the stems and you call them seed heads. Is the, that these are the little seed pods pods. Yeah. That have formed after the flowers become pollinated. Then you've got your little seed pods. It's kind of great too. Cause they're sort of like, 
kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, they're, yeah. Like they're really kind of alien looking and kind of hairy. Yeah, and, and like, the fact that this is what they do in nature is they just sort of, as the flowers finish, then the, the seed heads, or the seed heads kind of come down and then the stems are thin to begin with and then they just start to kind of fall over. Oh, okay. So they're kind of capturing the movement of those as they go through these stages. Yeah. Yeah, it's got, the, I, I love the the way the line, you know, the stems and everything are so, mm-hmm. like, black and white. It's so harsh, like, line-based. And then when you get to that flower, it's just this, like, little lovely bloom yeah. of color. Yeah. So it's it's got a nice contrast of that, like, you know, I don't think it's an accident that I kind of said, oh, they're kind of gross. <laughs> like, <laughs> because well, I think it's like, kind of about that contrast of right, this, like, it, right. the, that color makes the flowers seem so much prettier right. in this, in, yes. in this little, like, you know, these kind of, I like, I love those shapes that they're just so kind of awkward too. <laughs> they're kind of, cl- yeah, yeah, kind of clumsy looking <laughs> and just kind of like, kind of awkward and just kind of gangly. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, you know, it's nature. Yeah. They're like it's, the they're like an awkward thirteen year old, that's right? That's it. Exactly. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> that's where I was. So many different styles here. As yeah, you go it really through, is. I, I don't think there are any two that are really of the same kind of style. Yeah, you do get so, like, you know, very just flat graphic styles. We're kind of walking yeah. by and I think this is one of also one of my favorites here. Which the chrysanthemum? It sort of fits with the chrysanthemums of the fall show and the seasonal. Yeah. But the way it's represented, this a, a Japanese artist. Yeah. And this is that that texturing, that little glittering behind them, mm-hmm. which is typical, sort of of. Uh, is this done on? It's a um, screen print. Yeah. Um, it's, they it's, do it on a textured paper or even on a cloth when they do things yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah, it's this really is nice. It's yeah, it's it does have like actually now that you say that I'm I'm looking and it's got actually like metallic-y kind of flex in it yeah. which I didn't notice at first. Um and it's it's uh yeah, it's interesting. This is one of the latest ones we've seen so far. So this is 1986, um which is interesting just because in some ways it looks at least at first first blush it looks so traditional. Yes. I mean yes. it could, it could be a woodcut from, you know, several hundred years mm-hmm. before this, you know, yeah. you would have, you would have believed that. So it, it has this very traditional look, but then even when I saw like, Oh, it's a screen print. Like that's something that's a little newer. That's like, you know, not as traditional. Right. Typically it would be inked. Right. Yeah. yeah a lot of woodcuts are pretty common or, you know, you might see lithographs too, but it, you know, this is definitely in the, the composition of this, of the flowers at the bottom and all this sort of open space above mm-hmm. them is a very Japanese composition and this really tall format too. Yep. Um, it's kind of full of drama. Um, but I, I love, you know, a lot of the very traditional Japanese art is so good at like not being too worried a, about filling in space, you know, just like yes. letting. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we sometimes people will refer to those as like pregnant voids um, where you want to have like, you know, there's sort of bad voids in art where you can have just kind of dead <laughs> space, but then that's a very preg, it's a pregnant void. It's, it's empty, but it's full of meaning and it's got mm-hmm. like, and it's, it's actually, it's activating the stuff below, you know, so it knows what it's doing. That space is very, very purposeful. 
So I've grown these flowers before, uh-huh. and uh, they're typically more like a, what we call a football mum that you have in a, a prom time or something. Okay. But these single stems, each one of those flowers requires you to pinch all the buds along the stem to put it on a stake, and it take it's very painstaking mm. to to grow them. So each blossom holds weight because of what it takes to get to that blossom. Yeah. So not only is art, but from the horticultural standpoint, it's pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Let's kind of keep walking down. See anything else over here pop out to you? I like this one. It's it's a very different a different look as well. This Um, is called "Sunflowers Against a Green Ground" by Edna Boys Hopkins. And this is a little, this is, we're back, back in time a bit. Now we're, this is actually, surprisingly, this is one of the, the earliest things we've looked at yet. And it looks so kind of, I mean, I don't know if I would have said like, oh, it's from yesterday exactly. But, yeah, it, but I, I think in 60s, 70s, yeah. it, it has all that like color that comes out and, and just like that mix of colors. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, I think when you said sixties, it's, it's got that kind of flat psychedelic color look that Mm -hmm. like, I think I would have Mm -hmm. thought the same thing and it's from actually 1915 or 16. So yeah, like, wowza, like this is pretty, pretty out there, pretty crazy for, you know, somebody just really pushing the envelope and the colors are just so, so extreme still vibrant but you could see probably where just having it on display for a long period of time you'd be worried about the color kind of fading on that oh yeah in spots yeah but that's that's a very nice i love sunflowers well and They're it's also my favorite flowers again kind of like we we're talking about the leger um you know that sort of not being too worried about literal color uh, or local color mm-hmm. here it's mm-hmm. like that sunflower is like bright red yeah, and then the the blues and the kind of purplish brown in the center part yeah. of it. It's more of a more of a concept of color in there that maybe it's a reflective color yeah. from all the seeds that are in there. Yeah, it's out. yeah, it's definitely. I'm I'm glad I stopped to look at this because I I I mean I I walked by and I was like oh that's cool but I hadn't actually read the label to see what year it was from so yeah. I was very surprised to see that as well. I love this one. This is another Japanese print, and again it's 1955. We're kind of hopping all over the the 20th century, mm-hmm. um, but I, I love the way her her shirt, her blouse, the striped, like incredibly graphic, um, black and white is is mirrored in the stems behind her. Yeah, yeah, and then and then the blue irises that just kind of pop in around that frame her as the subject in there. I've always I, irises are one of my favorite flowers, and they're they're challenging. Why? Because there's a lot of parts to them. Okay. So so you've got the upward parts of the flower petals, the downward parts that are growing, and it's multiple petals that put it all together. Mm-hmm. And every single iris is different. Okay. But this is this is really pretty. Yeah, yeah, it's very simple. Irises um, are they. Are, are they ever white like this or are they? I think not very often. I've... You'll get, there are some white okay. irises, but they're, well, it depends on what type of iris. Okay. So to go for a technicality, but this might be more the reflection yeah. or, or a little bit of striping that is exaggerated to get the effect of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, because eh, they're typically kind of like a purpley well, blue. Or I have one variety that's called Batik. Okay. And it actually has splotches of white. Oh, and cool. And randomly all over it. And then, well, then there are, there are different types of iris. And so there's the big giant German iris or the little Siberian iris that are very petite. This one, this isn't really a specific iris. It's more of a concept of an iris, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the, the scale of them looks like, right. again, kind of right. a hint that we're not in necessarily the world of scientific realism. Yes, but yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so. like a, yeah, just a kind of emotional suggestion. Almost, It's, it's more almost like what's, it feels almost psychological or something about like, we're kind of getting more of an insight into her head more than like mm. what's the environment necessarily. Well, I'm not really an artist, but growing up, I took art classes. And one mm -hmm. of my great accomplishments in art, you'll be happy to hear this, <laughs> it was painting irises on a garbage can that Ooh. sat on a street corner for many years. <laughs> and I would drive people by and go, that's my garbage can. Those are my irises. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I was that. so I, yeah, proud of no. my irises. I love that it's on a garbage can. That's yeah. great. <laughs> And the rhododendron in the greenhouse. Yeah, this is kind of the I last, the very last one here in our little uh, mini exhibition. And this is a Russian artist. Yeah, so, so another name I'm not going to even try. Oh my yeah. gosh, Maria Mar uh, Markovia, and then we get into the yeah. real tricky yeah. last name, Jagupova. Oh, that was good. Yeah. I, that's I would have guessed. Jagupova. That's exactly it. I don't know. <laughs> That's a, well, this, I, I'll write, I usually write these out in the show notes so uh, you can read it. <laughs> so this, these rhododendrons in a greenhouse, you can see the containers. It has, it has a lot of lines and a lot of like swish colors, swashes throughout it. Um, but the splashes of color where the red are just really stand out on the background. Yeah, the red is just really obviously just like pops out right away. Yeah. Um, especially it's up against that kind of cooler blue that feels like the leaves are, you know, around it or, you know, just uh, and you're you're kind of hinting at the, the it's really brushy feeling like mm -hmm. and uh, the brushiness gives it this a lot of motion, even though it's a still life, yeah. you know, yeah. we're looking at a, yeah. just a, you know, just a flat, you know, just a this flower sitting there it could have felt very dead, but you know, especially just these little lines, uh, in the background, um, are full of motion. And, and even the ones that are in that mm -hmm. blue area below the plants, uh, or the, the petals, um, it's very, and it's all very kind of up and down too. It's, it's mm -hmm. very vertical. And then, well, the lines of the greenhouse here, which are are blue in this, but probably more silvery in real in real life. But the blue lines there create almost like a little framing, and then there's this splash of color from the plant over the top of that. And I love that you just assumed it was a greenhouse. Well, it says it in oh, the it title. Does. I oh, didn't, I didn't okay. assume it. I, I just I, I thought we were that. getting an insight into you, like that we you just no, automatically I you're just, just a better. I art. Just, 
Yeah, I you're just a better felt... visitor to the museum than I am because you actually read labels. <laughs> I'm just like I just assumed because I just no. assumed it was like a window on well, a, like a, it was like on a windowsill because I hadn't read that. You can tell I spent a lot of time in a greenhouse. I start seeing well, know, that's what I thought. Like, walls I thought you just saw, saw them as yes. like you, but no, you're actually yeah. It does says it does say rhododendron in the greenhouse. In the greenhouse, she's yes. doing she's actually yes. doing the homework I should have done. Well, <laughs> it's really that's I really like this one. I like the flow of it and it, as you said before there's a lot of movement to these flowers so you kind of feel like they're actively growing in there yeah it, it feels very much alive you know mm -hmm. that's it's that's a tricky thing sometimes to capture in a still life of plants is to give it that sense of life and it definitely feels very active and um and i love the way this is another one that the the print by being a made up of all these different layers of color. Um, it also makes it, gives it this kind of vibration uh, because mm -hmm. you can see where those colors are, are laying on top of each other and you get the hints of other colors where they're not being covered up and there's little like hints of, of those edges. And it, it just, again, it's another thing that makes it feel very active. I think are, are those little like places where it's not quite perfect yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, in planting a landscape, which is probably something I have a little more experience with in choosing colors, we try to choose colors that are color opposites okay. and, and sometimes put them next to each other because it does, it creates that vibration yeah. in, in the landscape of things. And I'm feeling the same way with this. There's a lot of like color opposites that make the red and the yellow just pop right out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it almost uh, because there's all this purple color that's made up of this you kind of can tell it's made up of a separate blue mm -hmm. and red. Um, it has this almost like 3D, like you're looking at uh, like a th yeah. an old 3D movie yeah. or something yeah. without your glasses on. Mm -hmm. It's it's well, and then the, the kind of wash of the gray back in the background where it leaves a little strands of, of white coming uh -huh. up, it gives the feel that that's glass, that that oh, is yeah. the. the you're looking through a window, well, a little reflection. This is a great thing too. I mean, one of the reasons I, I really do love drawings and works on paper. And one of the things that is to me exciting about this stuff is that the paper itself is, is so important that you see the paper. And, you know, a lot of times when you're looking at a, at a canvas with like an oil painting, um, that's completely covered in paint, um, you're not actually seeing any of that canvas. You're, you're just seeing the light hitting the paint and reflecting back to you. But with works like this, you're seeing the light go through the ink, hit the white of the paper back out through to you. And it's and so it, it has a certain kind of glow to it that I think is just really great. And when artists use that well, it makes those white areas without anything on it just feel so much more... Um, magical to me yeah. i don't know they I just kind of glow my older sister teaches art and you know when she's taught me how to do watercolor she's always trying to warn not to cover everything yeah. from the get-go yet that's my Instinct. and i always yeah. regret it afterwards i think oh and you can't go back yeah know? no because it's like you want that light <laughs> it's like that's where the light comes from is the is the page you know right and right. so it's about it's all about a relationship with the page you know and understanding what is going to be covered and what isn't going to be covered and how you're going to use it. But yeah, that's, that's, that's where the skill really comes in. Yeah. And that's exactly so, what working with watercolor is about. You're, it's, it's, it's all about knowing how to get those kind of reflections uh, that feel like light um, to come 
right back through that white paper. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, this artist is doing such a great job. I can't actually tell if, I think even this white on top might be printed. I can't tell. Cause it looks a little bit like if you look at the border, mm -hmm. it looks a little bit brighter to me than the areas on the edges, yeah. but I'm not sure. Yeah. I could be wrong. <laughs> it's sometimes so they've gotten so much color out of these plates. Like, I don't know even how many plates there are, you know, it's like, obviously there's red, obviously there's probably two blues like this lighter. Blue. I can't, I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah. And then, well, then there's a yellow, like, and whether that yellow, that yellow actually had to come before some of that red, because you can see it's, it's almost like popping through holes in the yeah. red flowers. Yeah, it looks so like the red is printed on top on of some top of that of yellow. Yeah, to give it that, it probably makes that, you know, so the, the, actually the red in the flowers is probably the same kind of pink that's underneath those mm -hmm. plants, um, just minus the yellow. Yeah. Because yeah. they're using, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like how, how, you know, commercial printing works where, you know, you're, you're dealing with a CMYK. So you've got like a magenta color that's mixing with the yellow to create that really mm -hmm. intense red, just like it, you know, in commercial printing. Well, thank you, Andrea, for looking at these prints with me today. Thank you for having me here today. This has really been a lot of fun. Yeah. I've learned so much about flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions on view right now are Anna England, Kinship, William Kintridge, More Sweetly Play the Dance, and Anila Kayum Aga, All the Flowers Are for Me. Join us on Sunday, September 24th for a special gallery experience where we will meditate on Anila Aga's All the Flowers Are For Me with Stacy Sims. Join Stacy for this one-hour experience that will involve guided meditation and slow-looking practices. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. We just started a Facebook group for Art Palace, so come join our cool club! Our theme song is Ofrand Musicale by Bacalao. And as always, please rate, review us, and subscribe on iTunes. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. <laughs> <laughs>